most entrepreneurs want to put the wolf stove in the subway or the sub-zero fridge and the cabinets in day one, right? You got to build the foundation and put in the electrical and the plumbing. In your business, you've got to build the foundational parts of your business first. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs get a little off the rails working on all the fancy stuff when they really haven't nailed the foundational parts of your business. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Frustrated trying to figure out how to grow faster. Do you want to know the real secrets to a fast-growing company? In this episode, you're going to hear my secrets. Secrets on how I grew 1-800-GOT-JUNK from 2 million to 106 million in six and a half years. Secrets on how to build out a true leadership team who will really help you grow the company. I'll talk about how to actually build a real company culture. And we're even going to cover how to leverage free PR and magnetize a vivid vision. You're going to love this episode. And as the entrepreneur, you don't know how it's going to happen, but you can describe what it feels like. You can describe the future state. You can describe what your Zoom meetings are like or what it feels like walking through your office or your interactions with the team and the pulse and the dashboards. And you end up with this description as if you were walking around your company three years from now. It's almost as if you hop into a time machine and you travel out to December 31st, 2025, and you walk around your company and then you write down everything you see, and then you come back to today and you hand it to your team and you go, this is what it looks like. I don't know how to do it, but they can take every sentence and come up with one or two projects to make each sentence come true. And then you ended up with a huge list of projects and you just simply put them in order, much like building a home, right? You build a foundation, you put in the plumbing and the walls. Most entrepreneurs want to put the wolf stove in the subway or the sub-zero fridge and the cabinets in day one. Right? You got to build the foundation and put in the electrical and the plumbing. In your business, you got to build the foundational parts of your business first. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs get a little off the rails working on all the fancy stuff when they really haven't nailed the foundational parts of your business. You've spoken in all continents. What do you typically speak about other than vivid vision? Give us an idea of what else you cover. Yeah, so I have, I think, four or five core topics. The first one I call the leadership at 100 miles an hour, and it's how to build fast-growing companies. So... When we built 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we had six consecutive years of 100% revenue growth. So we went from 2 million to 106 million in six years. We had no debt. We had no bank facilities, bank loans. We gave up no equity in the company. And we ranked as the number two company in all of Canada to work for. So I took them from 14 employees to 3,100 employees in six years. So I talk about that, how to build a great company with really good growth without giving away the farm. Second thing I talk about is building a world-class company culture. So I've coached two companies that went on to rank number one in Australia. I coached the number two company on Glassdoor in the U.S., number 12 on Glassdoor in the U.S., number one in Florida, number one in Ohio. I built the number two company in Canada. So I talk about culture, and it's not about the free perks. Culture is not about the massages and the free lunch. It's all based on the foundational things. And so it's how to build that company culture, even when you're a five-person company or just starting out. Third one is around uh, PR, which is... We landed 5,200 stories about our company, including being on Oprah. So it's how to generate real press coverage. Uh, And then the fourth is the leadership lessons to my younger self. 
That's amazing. So let, let's go deeper in this. I'm curious about culture and I'm curious about PR. Are you guys interested in learning more about that? Okay, so let's, let's go a little bit on culture because culture is such an interesting topic right sure. now in the post-pandemic world when so many companies are seeing people work remotely. What are some of the key things you think entrepreneurs need to keep in mind? Has anybody here ever done a jigsaw puzzle? Okay, all of you. Who's not done a jigsaw puzzle? It's like, get the hell out of the audience. Really? You've never done, like, you've never done a jigsaw puzzle for, you know, Gen Y, right? Or Gen Z, right? What's the jigsaw? All those little tiny pieces. Oh, yeah, just the little tiny pieces you put together, like 5,000 pieces, and they become a picture. Yeah. Gen Z have never done jigsaw puzzles, right? They're doing Minecraft or something, whatever. So, so the jigsaw puzzle, the most important thing with the jigsaw puzzle is the picture on the front of the box. Right? Imagine if I gave you a box with 5,000 pieces and they were all red. It would take you forever to build that puzzle. So the vivid vision is the picture on the front of the box. Culture starts with knowing that vision. With all of your employees, your customers, your shareholders, only recruiting employees that are excited about the vivid vision, pushing potential employees away that don't like the future of what you're building. That's where it starts. And then the four corners of your jigsaw puzzle, the four corners of your business, are your core values, your BHAG, your core purpose, and the one-year plan to make your vivid vision come true. Three-year plans are way too far out. Everything changes. The core values have to be so deeply ingrained in your organization that you're willing to fire people if they break them. You should only have a maximum of four or five core values. They should never be a single word. They should be a very short phrase that's easy to understand, that needs no explanation, no other bullet points. The only time I've ever allowed a single word as a core value is one of my clients used the word simplify. I'm like, fuck, that's perfect. Uh, core purpose, Simon Sinek, who popularized the whole start with why, Simon was on our board of advisors four years before his first TED talk. So Simon has slept on my couch. I knew Simon when he was broke. We, we've known, been really close friends forever. Simon helped me understand my core purpose, which is to help entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. But you have to, so my, everything I do helps entrepreneurs, my CO Alliance, my second in command podcast, my books, it's all helping entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. If this was a government audience, I would have said no to be here because it's not following what my core purpose is. So you really have to know your core purpose as your second corner. The third is your BHAG, right? What's that Jim Collins, big, hairy, audacious goal? It's never measurable. It's not a million somethings or a billion whatevers. By definition, the BHAG is a 20 or 30 year stretch that aligns the organization that from the inside seems possible and from the outside seems impossible. So an example of a BHAG in 1972, Nike's BHAG was to crush Adidas. That was crazy. In the 50s, Boeing's BHAG was to democratize air travel. Google's in 1997 was to organize the world's information. See, it's not a measurable march, but it's something you're always pushing towards. My BHAG is to replace vision statements with vivid visions worldwide. It's like a 20-year, 30-year march. So that's your third corner. And then the fourth is your plan or the one-year plan to make it come true. Culture is when everything is really emerging from there. And then the sides of your jigsaw puzzle, the first side is when culture really hits the road. And that's your people systems. And that's your recruiting, interviewing, hiring, onboarding, training, and the leadership development of people and getting rid of the wrong people and having those really tight systems in your organization. Culture kind of comes out of that. It's, notice it's not the perks. Right? It has nothing to do with free lunches or massages or whether they get free healthcare. Yeah, that's so, so, so true. It's never about the perks. 
Hey, it's Cameron. Did you hear? That's right. I wrote another book. But this book isn't just another book for me. It's actually for you, the visionary CEO that is looking to grow and scale their business. This book is called The Second in Command, Unleash the Power of Your COO. As a founder and CEO, you're used to making all the decisions, but the business you have isn't the one you envision. Heck, we've all been there. And the thing is, you know what you need. You need a COO, someone who can help you build the company you don't know how to build on your own. The Second in Command is your go-to guidebook when you're ready to scale up. I go through all the details in every aspect of the process, from knowing when you need to hire a COO, through identifying and hiring the right candidate, and successfully onboarding and working with them, and so much more. Go to CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to get your copy today. The Second in Command reveals the benefits COOs bring to companies and explores the many ways a COO mastermind or a COO forum can help grow the COO skills. You'll meet the types of COOs and understand the role each type plays. Discover how to bring on a COO into your company with the least disruption and avoid common problems before they arrive. Once again, it's CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to grab your copy today. There's no need to go it alone. We're in this together. Now back to the show. When you took 1-800-GOT-JUNK and made it one of the best companies to work for, was there anything that was really, that really stood out about the culture? Yeah, and I, and I want to speak to that. And I also want to speak to something that you do really well at Mind Valley. So I just met Dragna and you hired her at a cocktail party because her boyfriend, Alex, was starting to work with Mind Valley. Right. He noticed a cultural DNA in this person where she just kind of felt like the right culture. And he's like, what, what do you do? What, what are you good at? Like, it's get the right people on the bus, right? And then we'll find a role for you. That's where culture really starts from, is identifying that. So at the early, early days of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, when I got there, Brian had a very clear vision of what he wanted the business to look like. Brian was at that same lunch that I was at two and a half years before because we were in a forum group in EO. We both invested in being a part of a mastermind community called the Entrepreneurs' Organization. We were actually in the same forum group that met every single month for four years. Brian was my best man at my wedding two months before I joined him as his COO. So we had an unfair advantage, right? We already knew each other, trusted each other. But the one thing he had was really, really strong vision. The second thing was he really gave a shit about people. Not their birthdays and when they're, you know, what their dog's name was. He actually freaking cared about them as a human. Like when they were struggling or what was happening at home. He spent an inordinate amount of time out for coffee and having lunch with people, giving a shit about them. And I noticed that, that those were probably the two kind of kernels of culture. When I came in, I said, we had to do three things. The first was we had to raise our prices by 50% because no one was making money. He thought I was crazy. I'm like, no one's, we're not making money. You're not making money. The guys in the trucks aren't making money. So we're raising our prices. 50% will be the FedEx or the Starbucks of junk removal. Secondly was we had to build something a little bit more than a business and a little bit less than a religion. We had to get in the zone of a cult so that we could attract people and attract customers and attract press. And the third flywheel was we were going to generate as much free publicity, free PR as we could because we had no marketing budget whatsoever. Those were the three flywheels okay, for us. Okay, so that, that's crazy. How would you take a company that's basically a garbage hauling company 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So it's a company that you call when you have like large pieces of junk that you need hauled away, right? Like you disassemble some furniture or stuff. How do you take something like that? It's not sexy. It's not <laughs> sexy, but how do you turn it into a cult and then get 
5,300 media impressions. So 5,200. So the, and, and it was like 5,208. And they, they were individual unique stories. There was no online. You couldn't like do a press wire and get like 72 stories. Like these were individual unique stories, including Oprah, like the physical print edition in the New York Times, print edition of the Wall Street Journal, print edition of Forbes. So what, do, what you do is you, what was the question? But I have really 5, bad 000, ADD. But you remember 5,208. 5, yeah, yeah. So how did you turn something so unsexy into oh, yeah. a cult brand? So it's, it's the people. It's really, really, really focusing on bringing great people in and sharing the vision. And we, we wrote the vision, the vivid vision. Brian called it a painted picture at the time. The idea was to polarize. So when you read it, 50% of the people was like, there's no way I would work there. Good. Go work for government. But the other 50% of the people were like, oh my gosh, I want in. Great. Come on and we'll interview you. What, what caused that? I mean, it's junk hauling. How we, is that polarizing? Well, one by one. It's one person at a time. Like okay. Christopher Bennett was an early iconic hire. Jesse Corzan was an early iconic hire. We had two employees before we hit the 4 million mark that had permanent logos tattooed on their body of our brand. 1-800-GOT-JUNK. One, one was on his, his shoulder, one was on his hip. So when you create a cult, it's one person at a time. So I've actually, has anyone ever watched the, the show, The Vow, the TV show, The Vow about Nexium, the sex cult? Have you seen that? So I'm actually on their podcast. I'm friends with Sarah Edmondson. It was a hundred and, uh, I think it was like 17,000 members of this massive leadership and sex cult. Uh, Keith Ranieri just went to prison for it. I'm a, on their podcast called A Little Bit Culty, talking about when a company culture can go too far and we didn't go too far, but we understood the DNA. We understood how to make cultures. It's what I'm known for, okay, but it's but one person at a time. But that's crazy. <laughs> I can't imagine any, I can, okay. I can imagine someone Googling the sexy mind. I did it at house. We body. did it with house painting. hundred got junk. But we did it with house painting. I, I hired, you know, college pro painters went on to become the largest house painting company what, on the planet. What was that mission pulling these people forward? So one was to build a globally admired brand. Okay. That was our BHAG, mm -hmm. right? The other one was our core values were so tightly ingrained that people actually understood them and gave a shit. Another one was one person at a time, we would bring in these kind of cult-like people with good energy, regardless of if they were in IT or marketing or a payroll clerk, they just had that special something and people wanted to be around that special something. Mm. And then one by one, we pushed people out who didn't fit. Wow. Like we got rid of the toxic, we got rid of the cultural cancers, we got rid of the underperformers because government's always hiring anyway, they can go work there. How did, how did you foster that culture and nurture, nurture and grow that culture? It's, it's one, one is by really caring. So you mentioned the secret earlier. So as an example, we had every single employee when we were about 150 at our head office and about 200 franchisees had every single employee and all of our franchisees watch the secret. We had our top franchisees watch The Secret a second time with us on a cruise. We brought John Demartini and John um, Asaraf in to actually speak at our company. So, so we, we understood quantum physics and quantum mechanics and how to stir the cult. And we just kept stirring it. I'm so happy you said that because when I was talking about that law of attraction, I saw you in the front row and you kind of gave me a quizzical look and I thought Cameron is really thinking I'm way too fluffy. No, no. And he's probably losing respect for me no. because I'm going off sign. Who here knows the name John Asraf? The vision boards? Okay. So this is a really funny story. I had, I had now just left 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We're really deep into the whole quantum mechanics stuff. And I come back in a week after leaving the company to get them to look at my new laptop, to help out with my laptop. And Brian, I get there and Brian goes, oh, by the way, John Asraf from The Secret's here today. Do you want to watch him speak? So he, they bring him in to speak to like 240 of our head office employees. I'm like, sure. 
So I sit and watch him speak. I'm like, fuck, I love this guy. He's great. I'm going to go up and say hi. So I walk up to John and I said, John, hey, I'm Cameron Harold. He goes, Cameron. And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the corner of an envelope. You can fact check this. Drop him a note. He rips off the corner of an envelope and it's got my name, Cameron, and my cell number. And he goes, is this you? And I said, yeah. He goes, I don't know why I was given this number, but um, a guy in D.C., Jason Abernathy in Washington, D.C., told me to look you up when I'm in Vancouver. I was going to call you later. Can we get together for breakfast? I said, well, Brian just told me that you and I and somebody who works with you at One Coach are going to go for lunch later. He goes, no, no, I want one-on-one time with you. That's how I met John Ostroff. Like, you have to follow this stuff, right? That has nothing to do with any question. It was just a random ADD moment. <laughs> oh. that's, that, that's crazy. That's really, really cool. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.